Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And those of you listening online, good morning to you too. We are in the gospel according to Mark chapter 6. And if you have your Bibles, would you please open there? We will stand in a moment and read verses 14 through 29. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Verse 14, now King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. And he said, John, the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is the prophet, or one like the prophet's. But when Herod heard, he said, This is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore... Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came, when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers, and the chief men of Galilee, And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, saying, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist." Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went And beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Please be seated. This morning's consideration is entitled John's Murderers. But to introduce it, I'd like to go to the book of Daniel briefly. Because there, in chapter 3, we have that familiar story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And those men stood firm in the face of those who would kill them for their faith. Because they knew what they believed. And they knew what they believed because they knew in whom they believed. And I think all Christians should know not only what they believe, but in whom they believe, so that when there are those that rise up and try to move us away from the things that are dear to us, that have to do with our salvation and our knowledge with God, we can refuse them. John, he preached the word. 
He too knew what he believed and in whom he believed. And these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said straight out that they would not bow down to any other god. In fact, when the word was brought to King Nebuchadnezzar about their stance, in Daniel 3, verse 12, they reported to the King Nebuchadnezzar, they do not serve your gods, just like that. Would the world say that about us? Christians do not serve anybody else's God. We have nothing in common with anybody else's ideas about God. These men in Daniel 3 did not care about consequences, I said, neither did John. Daniel 3, verse 17. This is how they responded to the king. He will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods. I hear right up in his face saying, yeah, you're the king. You've got the power to kill us, but there's a king of kings. And we're more interested in him than you on these matters. We stand with him. I don't know if we communicate that enough to the lost souls of the world. I don't know if they see that in our face when we are saying to them, we are committed to Jesus Christ, to Christ of the Bible, of the New Testament and the Old. He is our God. And we will not bow down to anybody else's idea, regardless of their credentials or their experiences or their accomplishments or whatever. If they do not match what is preached in the Word, it does not match our conviction. And then they were cast into the midst of the fire. Tells us in Daniel 3, verse 25, and they were not hurt. Now, their bodies could have burned, but their soul would never have been hurt, which is the case with John the Baptist. They chopped off his head, but he was not hurt. John is having a good day right now. Nebuchadnezzar reported in verse 25 that they came from, as they came from the midst of the fire, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. That's going to be said about us when we leave this planet. We came from the midst of the fire and entered into his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts because he is God. And we're not confused about this, and nor, nor are we asking anybody's permission to believe these things. No matter what the consequences are, let's not forget that as we go through our consideration. You know what Nebuchadnezzar said about them? Quoting him in verse 28. They yielded their bodies to their own God. How profound. Daniel 3, verse 28. They have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any God except their own. May this not be lost on us. We're not trying to fit in with people. We're trying to get them to fit into the kingdom, to press in the straight and narrow. We do that with truth. And attempts to believe. When Job said, though he slay me, I will trust him. He said, I don't know what God's doing. I don't like what he's doing, but he's my God. That truth does not go away. And no matter what he grants or does not grant, he's still my God. He is worthy. And nobody can take that away from me. Not even me. That's the kind of faith I want. I struggle. I struggle with God. You know, just the things he allows to happen. But I don't struggle with who he is. So, with that, we look now at verse 14. Now, King Herod heard of him. 
for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Well, let's talk about this fake king, Herod. Rome did not consider him a king. God did not either. His father was Herod the Great. He was a great monster. And this is this Herod the Great, this Herod Antipas, is who we're talking about in verse 14. His father ordered the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem, just to give, remind us of how brutal these people were. All of them were thoroughly evil, and there were several of them. And here, this Herod Antipas, he hears about the miracles of Christ, and this is his response. Mark gives us the most detailed account of this event. He tells us about uh, Herod's response, and then he goes back and he's going to give us the details that led up to the beheading of John the Baptist. But at verse 14, John has already been murdered by Herod and his, his, his group. And uh, Matthew and Luke, they don't refer to Herod as a king, only Mark does. Uh, he ruled in Galilee and to the east of Galilee for about 35 years. But here's, here's a point coming from verse 14. How typical of the Christless to be wrong about Christ and have not only useless opinions about him, but harmful opinions about him. Harmful to themselves and harmful to whoever was foolish enough to listen to them. I was one. They don't understand the realities of God, the spiritual realm. The bits and pieces that they have, they misinterpret. But they don't mind spewing it. And so here is Herod. This is John the Baptist risen from... Ah, oh, shut up! You're wrong! That won't stop him, will it? Verse 15, others said, it is Elijah. And others said it is the prophet or like one of the prophets. Technically, Elijah could not be said that he had, been, uh, had risen from the dead because he did not die. It was what is called translated. He was taken to heaven alive in a very dramatic way, in a flaming chariot. That's how I'd like to go. Some of you would prefer maybe a bike with eight anger bars on fire, but going to the Lord, same destination, a little different style. In 2 Kings 11, that's where the story is, that he entered into heaven alive. But many Jews believed, because of Malachi chapter 4, that someday Elijah would return to fulfill the prophecy of of, of Malachi 4. And we'll be here a long time opening that one up, but suffice it to say that John came in the spirit of Elijah and before the Lord's great and coming uh, return, great, his great return, the spirit of Elijah will be active yet again. But there are, there's never a shortage of those who are not only duped by Satan, but very comfortable with Satan's lies about Jesus Christ. They don't do anything about it, except continue to hold on to it and resist those who might have uh, more light than they do, unlightened human beings, their views about Jesus, again, they are worthless in the end, and they are harmful. Well, they're valuable to Satan, to the underworld, to those forces of evil in the spiritual realm that hate human beings, all of them. And Satan doesn't like those who he uses. He hates them. 
but he uses them nonetheless. To equate Jesus Christ with Confucius or Buddha or Muhammad or anyone else is to expose one's ignorance about the person of Jesus Christ and who he is. Ignorance at the least, rejection at the most, and a lot of stuff in between. Because between Christ and every other person in Adam's race, that race being a ruined race by sin, between Jesus Christ and all the others, there is this fixed, immeasurable gap, this distance. Man is created and belonging, born into a ruined race. He's born into the wrong kingdom. But Jesus Christ is the maker of heaven and earth. John's Gospel, chapter 1, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. How do these guys come along and say, okay, that verse we like, but this one we don't like. This is true, we can trust it, but this one you can't trust. So I'm supposed to trust you, telling me what to and what not to trust. How about I just take the whole thing and let the Holy Spirit sort it out in me? But this is something that they get away with. And it is sad to see how many people profess the Lord, even say they love him, and then walk around saying, well, you can't trust all the Bible. You can't believe it all. God is not capable of protecting his word. I'd rather not be on that team. To give Christ and his word prominence, but not preeminence, that is a trap from hell and it can damn a soul. And so John, Herod here, Herod Antipas, is giving him prominence. Oh, he's, you know, risen from the dead. That's something we all can't do. That's a prominent feature. But it doesn't make him God in the eyes of Herod. In verse 16, he continues. Mark giving us the, the history of the event. But when Herod heard, he said, This is John, whom I beheaded. He has been risen from the dead. So he's doubling down. This is his opinion. This is not only an admission to guilt, but it is a boast to evil. It is John whom I beheaded. He's risen again. Uh, Herod, uh, who else have you beheaded? How many others have there been? Those 35 years that you ruled like your father, though not as vicious as your father because you weren't as smart as him in the realm of evil, how many others have you killed? Sounds very appealing to the gullible and those who are into sensation. It feels the spooky. Ooh, what's happening? People rising from the dead, reincarnate. We don't believe in that reincarnation stuff. Categorically rejecting it. What makes superstition baseless? Because it has no proof. The proof is, in fact, against it. Because you get away with something one time doesn't mean the superstition is true. It has to be consistent. There was, by the way, no single murderer of John the Baptist. There was a nest of them. There was, of course, Herod, Antipas, as the story clearly tells us. Herodias, his stolen wife. And her wicked daughter, Salome, says uh, the historian Josephus, that, that that was her name. Then there was, of course, the henchmen, the axemen. Not just one. And Herod... He had no problem in believing that a man who had been beheaded could be risen from the dead. See, this is craziness. If he, if, if, if he could believe that, 
Why would he not submit to the one who rules over this? Is it possible to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and still be unmoved by it to submit to him? Absolutely it is. The Pharisees went out of their way to cover up his resurrection. Many in Scripture saw miracles and refused to submit to them. Dealing with what sin has done to the race is tough stuff. It's very real. It's very hard. It's a knock-down, drag-out fight all the way. It's very ugly. We were just singing the song, Pass me not, while on others thou art calling. Please uh, do not pass me by. Before I became a pastor, when God called me to the ministry and I had no church, I used to sing that song, Lord, don't pass me by. But after dealing with the devil's work enough years, you know, maybe if you want to find somebody else, Lord, I'm... I mean, what should I stand here and lie to you? And tell you that it's all been wonderful. Paul said, I bear on my body the marks of Christ. I can say I bear on my heart the marks of Christ. No, not in a boastful way, in a gallant way, but still, nonetheless, it is true. I have hurts from serving Christ that I otherwise would not have hurt or had. And it should be that way to some degree with all of us who serve Christ. All of us take up a cross. A cross is not something you want to take up. Let's see, I'll have the uh, turkey sandwich with everything on it and, and a cross, a cross to bear. We don't think like that. But we are called to think like that. We learn to think this way. It is the teaching of the Spirit in our lives. And so, these fiends, and that's what they were, who had John murdered, they have such power in this world. Too much for my liking because there's a real devil and there is a real filtering system God is getting to the bottom of. Who is going to serve him and who is not? And he's using this life to do it. And he will not be moved off of that mission. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. On that very day, some of the Pharisees came saying to him, Get out of, get out. And depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Of course, he had killed John by that time. And he said to him, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day, and I shall be perfected. In other words, I don't care what you think. If you are against God, your doom is going to be sure. And when he mentions that fox, remember that in those days, Foxes were seen as sneaky and sly and destructive. They were more of a nuisance than anything else. They were not these cute little things that you rarely saw crossing the road. They were predators of weaker animals in the eyes of the people who lived at that time. Solomon writes about the little foxes that spoil the vine. They just ruin everything. Have a good day and some little move from Satan just ruins it for you. Verse 17, for Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Well, we, ha we can say a lot about these characters, but it can suffice to say in a single word, wicked. Uh, giving the details of, you know, the incest that was taking place. Uh, she had married her, her first husband, Philip, was her uncle, and so was Herod. And just give you an idea of what was going on with these mindless, savage, 
and eternally damning choices made by these people. Uh, Luke 3.19, but Herod the Tetrarch, and see Luke does not call Herod this Herod a king, he calls him a Tetrarch, a ruler of 25% of the land cut up uh, by Rome, uh, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for all the evils which Herod had done. See, John had dealt with all the evils that Herod had done. John was thorough. Again, he didn't allow the consequences of his being thorough deter him from doing what he was supposed to do. And so these are the people in his field of ministry. Um, They were not only wicked, but very able to execute their wickedness on others. Verse 18, because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, Herod was of Edomite and Jewish mixture in in his uh, mix, in his bloodline. He considered himself a Jew. Of course, he used that to his advantage in dealing with the Jews in the region of Galilee and Perea where he uh, had authority. Because he considered himself a Jew, that gave John the right to set him straight according to the law of Moses. And in Leviticus chapter 18 and I think chapter 20, it was very clearly said, now to take your brother's wife. And so John gave him sermons on that and other things also. Of course, John the baptizer, his rebukes negatively affected the social standing of Herod's uh, stolen wife, Herodias. I mean, people would be talking behind her back that that prophet, John, was scolding you publicly. He's calling you out. He was saying you were an illegitimate wife. You were an adulterer. You were wicked. And she would have none of that. She hated John for this. But John preached in spite of the consequences. We go back a little bit of it again. Daniel chapter 3, verse 18. But if not, let it be known to you. If God does not answer our prayer, as precious as our lives are to ourselves, and we have no right to think that those men and women in Scripture who were persecuted, some to death, some near death, we have no right to think that they were just good with this. I mean, that there was not a problem. They were just as much uh, unhappy with being persecuted and killed as we would be. It's not just this story. These are real people in real lives. And so when these men were facing the death of a fiery furnace, this was their stance. God is able to deliver us. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the the gold image which you have set up. Something you concocted, something you created, whether it is in the form of a statue or an idea, whether it is an ideology or whatever it may be, if you made it up and it goes contrary to God, we really are against it. It's contrary to us. And this has been... Part of our Christian heritage forever. Other religions have the same thing. Uh, They believe in their gods. Not all of them. Uh, Some of them believe you can believe whatever you want to believe. It doesn't matter. It's relative. Sounds like it's such a deep word. It's relative. You're going to be a relative of hell if you don't fix that opinion. 
Oh, that's offensive. Well, you know what? Uh, God finds you rejecting his proof and his truth offensive. And you can side with him and fix this. I don't know how that sounds to somebody who doesn't like it. As you're hearing me say this, I don't know if you're saying, wow, you're right, brother. I want to give my life to Christ. Well, that's what I want you to say. But maybe you might be saying, who do you think you are? I'm just a nobody. But I'm talking about somebody who is big and awesome and worthy to be praised. Well, Nebuchadnezzar 3.28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. What if he didn't? He didn't always, didn't deliver John by the end of this story, right? They have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies. They should not serve nor worship any God except their own God. I know I'm repeating this on purpose. We, when, we, it's good to be reminded. They yielded their bodies. That sticks out, stands out, glares off the page at me. In verse 19 now of Mark chapter, chapter 6. Therefore, Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. She, she held against him that he was, again, publicly scolding her. He wasn't trying to. He was just preaching the word to everybody. She hated John for convicting her of her sin. To her, it wasn't sin. Live and let live. Do your own thing. And John said, that's fine, but here's what God says. Galatians chapter 4, Paul asked believers, those who once loved him. I think we read this last week. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Yeah, you tell people the truth and you make them your enemy. They won't like you. But truth really doesn't care. Truth is, is, it's not, doesn't have feelings. It's just fact in front of you. You can argue with it, you can huff and puff, but it's going to make a demand on your will. It's going to cut right to you. It's going to isolate you from everything else and say, what are you going to do with this? That's what Herod's issue was in this story. He had to finally face the truth in full force and make a decision on his birthday. Jesus said, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Yeah, pastors enter the pulpit and they preach the word as it's given to us and many people hate them for it because their works are evil. They don't want to submit to what God has said. They want to tailor what God has said to what they want to do. To have to be able to say, I love the Lord. And then boldface disrespect him with your actions and not think it's a problem. You are just mocking God. Let all men be a liar. God is not mocked. You will be judged for the, such behavior. This is the case of King Saul in the, in the Old Testament and others. To come out and say they worship God and then trample the very word of God the next breath. Well, if it went terribly wrong for Herod at judgment, what about Herodias? And that's why she has that name Herodias. And he is Herod because she's part of their family. It's incestuous. She's a niece. And her daughter, Salome, will pick up the same habit. But anyway, what happened to her? A savage, 
Eternity awaited her too. Herod's not the only one to fall into judgment in this story. Where are these two right now, at this very moment? Some would like to kid themselves. Oh, they're just, you know, nowhere. Or eventually, you know, uh, somehow somebody prayed them out of hell. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. In fact, totally against such concoctions. After death, it got worse for Herodias. After death, it got worse for Herod. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to a human being. This is the gospel message. That there's, death can be the most wonderful thing that happens to a human being. Timely death, not self-appointed. The gospel says this is the good news, that after this life there are no more tears. But if you choose against God, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In verse 20, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So, so Herod knew John was connected to God, you could say. And that he himself, that Herod himself was not. And he, he was a drawn to John. He wanted some of this. That's the problem. He just wanted to sample it. He did not let his knowledge help him enough. He just in time became familiar with John's sermons. Matthew, uh, Jesus uh, speaking, Matthew records about hell and darkness. Jesus said that, those unprofitable servants were cast. He said, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a promise. This is what's going to happen. He's telling us, expecting us to respond to the warnings in a positive way. And even now, Herod and Herodias and countless others to us sit in an endless hell, and we need to be very serious about this and not dismiss it that there are consequences. There can be a consequence for preaching the truth, such as persecution, such as beheading. But there's also a consequence to telling God, your son's death on the cross ain't all that. And I think many people think they're going to somehow be okay if they reject Jesus, that they're going to somehow survive. This is witchcraft. This is believing in spiritual forces that don't exist in your favor. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. It tells us here in verse 20. Now, some translations say that instead of saying he did many things, he was very perplexed. It's a little tricky. But the idea is that John influenced the thinking of Herod Antipas. John was making headway. John was moving the man's heart with the truth from the scripture. He heard, he did, and gladly. That's what it says. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. John the baptizer's preaching was making progress in this man. This is kind of spooky. Because Herod was that close to heaven. And he chose hell instead. Internally, he was conflicted. That's where the war was. And the Holy Spirit said, what are you going to do? It gets worse. We're going to heat this up in a moment. He knew he was guilty for marrying Herodias, taking Philip's wife from, 
from him. And for, his, for a while, his conscience was alive. It was not yet seared with a hot iron beyond retrieval, but he becomes irretrievable. How about anybody here starting to wade out into the waters of rejection of Christ, into making up things about Christ and his word? You're going out deeper and deeper until you are irretrievable. You can be irretrievable in this life where God can't get you back. Here's my point. You say, what if you just don't agree with me? Fine, good, don't agree with me. What if I'm right? What if I'm right and you're messing around with these things? Well, the story here tells us otherwise. Tells us that you can reach a point of no return. Verse 21. Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. Yeah, yeah, where are they too? John the baptizer was Herod's last chance at eternal life. He really wouldn't get another one. I mean, technically you could say when Jesus stood before him, he had another chance. But realistically speaking, it was, he was too far gone. He was at the point of no return. It was a defining moment in his life. We have those. We have many of them. But this had to do with his soul. This was his last chance, as it was with Pharaoh when Moses stood before him. Eventually, it became the last chance until Pharaoh chased them to the sea and was swallowed up there. Then there was Saul with Samuel. And Samuel came up at Endor and preached, Tomorrow you'll be dead too, Saul. Saul had a chance. He threw it away. King David. David had a chance to repent over his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. And Nathan confronted him. And David took that chance. David did not resist it. He, I'm the man. I'm it. He repented. He wrote psalms about it. David shows us how to respond, as did the Ninevites. Jonah comes through 40 days. You guys have done God will judge you. Forty days, God will judge you. That was his sermon. Some of you might be saying, why can't you preach short, short sermons like that? <laughs> well, Jonah didn't have the gospel of Mark. <laughs> but Nineveh repented. If they had not repented, that generation would have perished. What about Absalom? Even Joab was used to give Absalom a chance, and he threw it away. Judas Iscariot. Go do what you must do. That wasn't his last chance. He was approaching it. There in the garden, when he betrayed him, and Jesus said, friend. And Judas dismissed it and went out and hung himself in remorse, but not repentance. We'll come to that in a moment, too. Then there was Caesar Nero. Nero wasn't too bad as Caesar's go as a ruler until after Paul the apostle spoke with him. History kind of skips over that. But then Nero goes really wacky, even kills his mentor, Seneca. But we know Paul went before him because Acts 27 tells us, God speaking through an angel to Paul, Do not be afraid, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you and all those who sail with you. This is when they were on the, facing shipwreck, and they did shipwreck, but they survived. And so the point is, Nero was given a chance, one more chance. And after he told Paul no, he went into his Christian hatred mode. And we know him as the man who 
really introduced the first Gentile severe persecution of believers. There was the Jezebel of Thyatira. Christ gave her a chance. Revelation 2, verse 21, where he says, You have that woman, Jezebel, who teaches my servants. And so here he says, And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. She reached that tipping point. Going part way, but not all the way, into repentance can harden the heart to the point where it's too late. These were given a chance. One last chance Herod has. Again, Galatians chapter 3, Paul lamenting to the church there says, Oh, foolish Galatians. Now he's talking to those who said they were believers. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? I am afraid for you, lest I have worked for nothing. How many times does a pastor preach to the youth and the youth love it? And then they go out into the world and all of a sudden they don't love that pastor anymore. Even though he's done nothing but give them the word of God. I guess they found others that give it to him better. I don't dispute that. I know there are better men than I am in the pulpit. You don't really believe that, do you? No, I don't. (laughs) Of course I believe it. But it is kind of funny, right? (laughs) And it's it's, it's, because you want... Look. I don't care what you are. I think if you have any sense of decency, you want to be the best at what you do. Knowing you can't be. That there's always going to be somebody better. And it's no difference in my case or any other pastor's case. And some other pastor knows that I'm better than him. <laughs> Just like I know he's better than me. Well, anyway, these facts are things we need to be reminded of from time to time. And... Uh, yeah, some people come to the church because I'm the only girl on the dance floor. <laughs> well, I'd go to another church, but I can't find one, so I'll dance with you. See, I'm very flattered by that. <laughs> Others have been given a chance, one last chance. You say, name one, me. You can say the same thing. You were, at one, some point, you were given a chance and you took it for Christ. But maybe, maybe it was your last chance. Maybe you're sitting here and you're still undecided. And Satan loves the bubble-headed, undecided individual. You have no right to be undecided in the face of these truths. They're that powerful. That's why God will eventually say, no more mercy. What a scary thought. Would you rather me just say, oh, no, just keep on, you know, you never know, just you never know. You want me to preach that kind of just noncommittal stuff? Or do you want to understand that this is serious business? Every cemetery says to all of us, this life is not a joke. For every tombstone, there's a broken heart. Many of them. But here, here we have this worldly party. And these can be nasty gatherings, these parties. A party led to Moses breaking the tablets of the law before the guilty revelers. It was a party that King Ahasuerus tried to parade his wife Vashti. And she had the courage to say no. And he lost, he lost her as a wife. King Belshazzar, the last one of 
the Babylonian, the Babylonians. He saw the handwriting on the wall at a party, and it was not in his favor. And his knees knocked against another and other things, and of course he perished that night. And at this party, the decision to chop off the head of John the baptizer was made. And to show it on a platter. They weren't satisfied with just killing him. They wanted to parade the deed. A nest of the determined to be damned. They were determined. They felt the fun in this life was more important than the God after this life. And what's God supposed to do? Pat him on the head and give him a cookie? What we're getting here in this scripture is God is saying, understand this. Your choice is a serious business. You want to tamper with what I'm saying? You want to mess around with who I am? You want to just blatantly and flagrantly be disobedient? There are consequences. Verse 22. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. Well, I've already commented on uh, Salome being his stepdaughter, is what she was, uh, the daughter of Herodias and Philip. Verse 23, he also swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Now, that, of course, is an exaggeration. They weren't going to give her. She said, well, okay, give me the half the kingdom and the half that John is in so that I can go behead him. I mean, that would have been just, the thing, but that's not what's meant by this. He said, just ask anything, you know, any big gift, and and I'm going to give it to you. It's just such a silly thing. Why? Blinded he was by the obscene. And his moral blindness only darkened further. We all are familiar with 1 John. For all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world, by definition, is in opposition to Jesus Christ to the point that they have rejected him. And we go now to verse 24. And so she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. You see, Herodias, her mother, she had a violent reaction to the Bible. And there are those that have this violent reaction to truth. They think that, you know, they fold their arms and smugly just begin to pick it off and think they're going to get away with it. And you can get away with it, as these did, for one lifetime, but no more. Not a step further. Well, (coughs) pardon me, (coughs) come back to this. But she, Herodias, satanically inspired with an unclean spirit, hated not only the truth, but the God of the truth and his messenger. She hated the whole package. Wanted nothing to do with it. Well, you can silence the messenger, but you can't silence the truth. Verse 25, immediately she came in with haste, this is Salome, the daughter, to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The apple fell close to the tree with this one. She's just as wicked as her mother. She rushed to give her gruesome reply to Herod's brainless infatuation. She couldn't wait. Immediately she came in with haste. You could just see her eyes. She was happy like a kid heading heading toward the Christmas tree, you know, just eyes all glowing, all excited over this grotesque event. 
The fruit of Satan grows off of evil people. And this is what it looks like in print. We get to see it from time to time in our own life, in others, hopefully, and not ourselves. Not this evil fruit. Verse 26, And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oath and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. You catch that? He's not sorry. He is exceedingly sorry. He was emotional about it. This is his moment. This is his chance. This proves that remorse and repentance are not the same thing. We can be humanly sorry and then go commit atrocities with the very next breath. Judas Iscariot, I blew it. I didn't make the right call. But he did not say, that is the Son of God, righteous and holy, and I bow down to him. God forgive me. That is not what he did. Peter went out and wept bitterly just for denying him. Judas betrayed him and hung himself. Wanted to take control over matters. Probably trying to punish somebody. Here, Herod, he's sorry that he tripped over his own drunken tongue. Sorry that he didn't see this answer coming. Not sorry enough to do what was right. Not sorry enough about his personal sin. Not sorry enough to halt a murder of a righteous man. Who who cares about this kind of junk sorry? It's useless. So what you're sorry? If you're going to behave and and commit atrocities such as this, who's interested in you? Would you want a pity party for this? Oh, poor Herod. You got tricked. Come sit down over here. Verse 27. Immediately the king sent the execution and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison. He could have said, no, I'm not giving you that. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm the king and I'm not doing that. If he really was serious, even Zechariah, they came to Zechariah. Shall we keep the fasting that we had in Babylon? Zechariah said, God never gave you that. You're You're not bound by that. I'm sure some didn't like that. They, just, they really came to him for a blessing. Oh, pastor, what do you think about this book? Uh, 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 this person doesn't believe in the scripture. Ah, it's junk. Oh, I'm leaving the church. It's happened. It's happened more than once. They come looking for the blessing. You don't give it to them. You got trouble. And that uh, Zechariah, they came to him again. And he told them, no, you're not bound by silly oaths. And uh, here Herod sealed his own fate. Do you know, here's the punch to it all. God never spoke to him again. Not that we, I mean, what we, the evidence we have is that God never spoke to him again until it was judgment day. Luke chapter 23. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. Last time he was exceedingly sorry over the, over the botched uh, uh, party event. Here he's exceedingly glad. Oh, Jesus is here. Maybe he'll do some miracle. For he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words. But he answered him nothing. End quote. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verses 8 and 9. That is, the, that is what happened. He's asking Jesus all these questions, and the Bible tells us he answered him nothing. He's the only person in Scripture that Jesus Christ ignored, that we know of. See, he fooled around. He played around with that last chance. And there it is. 
It's ironic. Herod's birthday became his eternal death day. If, I, if, if I'm wrong about that, it would be good. But the Bible gives these strong warnings to us. John was the last prophet of the Old Testament age to die and the first prophet of the New Testament age to die because it was worth it to him. God said about John the Baptist that there were none better. What kind of group does that put him in? Abraham and Isaiah and Abel and just all of these powerful figures of Scripture. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is who Herod, Herodias, and Salome and the axemen killed, the one whom Jesus said none is better. But what about this part here? Because everybody always wants to hear something about it, and rightfully so. He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does that mean? Our ministry is greater, and our message is superior because our Savior is the crucified, risen Lord, and we have that information. And we have submitted to it. Among men, none better than John. But among messengers, or messages, among the messages that are out there, none is as glorious as ours. It's just not John personally. It's the message he had. It only went so far. Ours goes beyond. And in that sense, it is greater. What is so great about a prophet? His message. What is so great about us? Our message. Is our message greater than Isaiah's in that sense? Yes. Even though Isaiah included it, it wasn't as developed as what we have. It's greater than Solomon, greater than Jonah. Our message is one of recurrent cleansing as opposed to the law of recurrent covering. So what I mean by that is in the Old Testament, you took your blood sacrifice to the temple and your sins were covered, but they were still there. You were not going to go to heaven. You could go to uh, righteous Sheol, but you were not going to make it into heaven because your sins were not dealt with sufficiently. That is the Old Testament law, recurrent covering. But New Testament grace is recurrent cleansing so that... We can say the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, past, present, and those to come. That is grace. Now, that's not flagrant sin, the sin that, we, you know, you just tell God, take hike, I'm not, I'm talking about for those who believe in Jesus Christ. We stumble, we mess up, and God forgives. And we should be very grateful. That's why Paul said, he has made a, who has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. 2 Corinthians 3.6. Well, I'm almost out of time. I'm just going to finish this up. Verse 28. It brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. These are ghouls. Remember that. Here's what Richard Wombrand had to say in uh, uh, Tortured for Christ. I recommend you read Tortured for Christ. Pastor Wombrand said he was beheaded because he did not confine himself to abstract teaching. He got out and said, no, this is black and white. You want, oh, maybe this, maybe that, could be. 
He eliminated these and he got to the point, you can't have your brother's wife. There's no gray zone here. And today we have abstract teachers. We've always had them where they just won't get to the point. Everybody loves their sermons because they don't convict anybody. As Tozer said, if it was poison, it wouldn't kill you. If it was medicine, it couldn't cure you. Who wants that kind of preaching? So they continued with their party while the grisly deed was paraded. And then they woke up the next day, and then the next day, and then the next year they kept going. Then death came. And then they trembled before the throne of Jesus Christ and are there uh, separated from him to this very moment. They did not die that day. They forfeited their last hope of salvation as far as we can tell. And that's what we need to be. Look, you know what? That's what we're concerned with. Verse 29. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Not the ending John had expected. Are you the Christ or do we look for another? He was saying, how come I'm still in jail? If you're the Messiah, where's the army to deliver me and establish your kingdom? His disciples... Uh, perhaps they thought Satan has another victory. There were other martyrs from the days of Abel forward, so this wasn't entirely new. Matthew chapter 14, verse 12, Matthew says, after John was beheaded, that they went and told Jesus. Jesus made some profound comments about John, but then, acting as though he wasn't surprised, he continued forward with ministry. Ministry marched on to other needy souls, and it does to this way, day. To this day, you know, you can, the messenger can die, but the message keeps going forward. And so, closing with this, the, the grotesque that is before us, who sees the godly murdered, yet still supposes that all roads lead to heaven? Such backwards, twisted thinking, it defies Reason and justice and holiness, our sense of these things. Animals don't have a sense of justice. They have instincts. <laughs> uh, they're just in a different world. We have these senses that they don't have. Uh, is it noble to hold such idiotic thoughts as Herod and Herodias? If it comes from an entertainer, if it comes from a professor or an author or a friend or a parent, if it is contrary to God, are we supposed to hold such notions as honorable? Well, all roads lead to heaven. They do not. There's a straight and there's a narrow one and there's a broad and there's a wide one. And the choice is up to you. And you may get a day in your life if you've not opened your heart to Christ where you've got to make that choice well, just remember Pharaoh, just remember Herod, just remember the Jezebel of Thyatira. But Christ says, I gave her space to repent, and she did not. John remained loyal to the death. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come to me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Well, let us remain loyal to Christ no matter what. Let's pray. Our Father... It's not just a story. It was a real day. The day came for the man that you loved, named John, to be martyred, to have his head cut off because of what he believed. 
Not all of us are called to die for you, but we are all called to live for you. And may you find us doing just that, whether it be life or death. May we be very serious about our commitment to you. May loyalty mean something to us because it means something to you. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just and pure and of good report, if there be anything lovely, if there be any virtue, give yourself in meditation to these. Think about these. We love and worship you, but there are others who don't. But there are some who want to and have not made the full step. If you're here this morning and the Spirit of God has been moving in your heart and you've not opened your heart up before to Christ, you have a chance right now. If you make this prayer in earnest, God will receive you. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your commandments. And I ask you to forgive me. There is nowhere else to go. I do believe that you died to take my punishment. I believe you rose again to demonstrate your power. And I give my life to you right here, right now. And from this day forward, I ask that you would be not only the one who saves my soul from judgment for my sin, but also the one who rules over my life and uses me to your glory. Now, Father, if anyone makes this prayer this morning, may they not be ashamed of it. May they make their profession known. These things we commit to your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.